Good morning, Solano family. My name is Muliadi. I'll be reading from Psalms 42 and 43. I invite you to open your Bibles and read together with me. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to the deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for shall, I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust men, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is the Word of God. Thanks, Muliati. Thanks, Miguel. I think it was probably about 10 years ago when I first heard Miguel sing this uh, at Ocean View, and I had to go up to him after service and say, what is the name of that song? And it really, it, um, it turned me to Psalm 42 and 43 to reread them. I mean, if you were like me and you grew up in the, in the 70s or in the 80s when I became a Christian, you always knew the song, As the Deer. And this is As the Deer and so much more. So it's so cool. So thank you for doing that. Um, so my name is Jim, and I'm a member here at Solano, and one of... Um, Solano's new elders, as of last month, 
They didn't tell me that this was going to be the, one of the first things I had to do. <laughs> but um, my wife, Helen, and I began attending Solano in 2012. Um, we have a picture. Um, kind of when I saw uh, Rose Russell put up a picture of her and Aaron, I thought, okay, I need to put up a picture of my family. This is my wife, Helen, and myself. We have two adult sons, two daughters-in-law, six grandkids. God has blessed us with them. Uh, four of them are up here in San Ramon, and two are down in Southern California. The picture here is from early January 2023, so as contemporary as I can make it. You can guess where it is, right? Um, and um, some of you know Helen from Sunday worship and from home groups. Uh, she was attending, and then in early 2020, I think this is the first time I've explained this to the whole congregation, she was one of the early um, cases of covid and since that time, it's just been kind of one little kind of health crisis after another. So you might see her with me about town, you know, usually outdoors. Um, but she's got different kinds of issues. She fatigues really easily. Um, I'm praying for the day in which she can come back and join us at home group or worship. Uh, we have another member of our family who came to join us in 2019. You can do the next slide. Um, this is Kiara, our Rhodesian Ridgeback, uh, doing two of her three favorite activities, sleeping and playing off-leash. The third activity is eating, as you might expect with a dog. Um, we've lived in El Cerrito since the early 80s, so we're like the old-timers on our, on our block, in our neighborhood. And I'm currently sort of semi-retired. I'm sort of easing my way away from a career in pharmaceutical research, pharma research for short and I'm doing a little bit of consulting for a biotech company in Emeryville right now. Uh, Greg Kritzinger and I overlapped a little bit at Bayer, though he was Bayer Crop Science and I was Bayer Healthcare. So um, today is the fourth in our summer series on the Psalms, God in the Raw. And I don't think we've ever explained this right, but I think we mean we're in the raw, or the, the psalmist is in the raw. We've got raw feelings, raw experiences that we're going through in life. And so it's so cool to have this whole book of 150 psalms to go through that. And so uh, at the beginning of the series, Pastor Andrew started us off in Psalm 133, talking about the grace of unity, and then Psalm 92, which is renewal and Sabbath. And then last week we had Peter Kantz, who sort of brought us back to Psalm 1, talking about wisdom and the way of the righteous person and the unrighteous person. So this week is a psalm of a different type than the first three. This is, those were um, wisdom psalms and psalms of thanksgiving. We have psalms of praise. We have psalms of kingship, um, trust. Uh, if you sat through the Gospel Academy class with Peter Kantz, you have notes that tell you about that. This is the first psalm on lament that we were talking about. And I think I talked to Pastor Paul. It might be the only song of, psalm of lament that we talk about in this series. So we'll make the, the most of it while we can. Um, the authors are listed as the sons of Korah. If you open up your Bible, sometimes you see there's a little subtitle under the title of the psalm. To the choir master, a masculine from the sons of Korah. So uh, maybe you don't know who the sons of Korah are. This is something else that, that Pastor Miguel talked about a few years ago. The sons of Korah. Korah was one of the leaders in the tribe of Levi who openly rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And he and his family were punished by God. They're actually sort of a big 
hole and the ground opened up and they fell through. You can read about that in numbers. But it's interesting, the, whole, the line of Korah did not stop with that. So we have the sons of Korah, still members of the tribe of Levi, priests and worship leaders. And they wrote, I think the count was 11 Psalms, but actually they didn't credit 43 to the sons of Korah, but pretty sure that was written by them. has that same stanza in it. And so there's, a, there's sort of a hidden story of redemption in there, that even though Korah and his immediate family were punished, they were still in that line that God redeemed them, and they became worship leaders. So having said all that, let me uh, open up the time for us with prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, this summer, that we can look at these psalms one by one. There are so many, Lord, and today we consider this psalm of lament, to know that lament is something that we all experience or will experience in our lives. So help us, Lord, as we read this scripture, we think about our life experiences, and we open our hearts and ears to your wisdom and your words of instruction to us this morning. As the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I think most of us can agree that we're well acquainted with trials and troubles. The biblical definition of lament is a prayer of grief, sorrow, pain, confusion. And that's not so much different from what you might think of a secular definition. Lament has a prominent place in the Psalms. It comprises at least a third, maybe more, if you... Uh, depending upon who you talk to. And there's psalms of lament for individuals. There's psalms of lament for corporate bodies. In fact, the Bible has a whole book called Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah. And I want to be clear up front that what lament is and what lament is not. Okay, so lament is not only this plea, but maybe complaining to God, which maybe sounds a little like, can we complain to God? Absolutely, we can complain to God. God draws at the line of complaining about God. Okay, so complaining to God versus complaining about God. And a good example of that is in Exodus 15, where the people of Israel, having been brought out of captivity in Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, and they sang this great song of praise to God in Exodus 15. And then if you read in Exodus 16 and 17, they turn around and say, what are we doing here? We're hungry. We, should be, we were better off being slaves back in Egypt. And that was complaining about God as opposed to complaining to God. So today's Psalms, 42 and 43, I want to talk about some of the realities of lament and maybe some of the reasons for the lament, at least for this psalmist. And then in that very word, we have to look for it sometimes, but there are the remedies for lament are in there. And ultimately, I hope to convince you that there's power in lament. There's a reason why one-third of the Psalms are about lament. So first of all, lament as a reality of life. Um, again, I'm dating myself, but back in the late 70s, but it was a book that was popular for a number of years by uh, psychologist M. Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. It declares life is difficult. This is a great truth because once we see this truth, we can transcend it. Now the Bible doubled down on that. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4, the author speaks, maybe you know this, a time to weep 
and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And several chapters later, it also says, this is a, a different, more modernized translation, here's something that happens all the time and makes no sense at all. Good people get what's coming to the wicked, and bad people get what's coming to the good. I tell you, this makes no sense. It's smoke. It's vanity. It's meaningless. And then we come to the New Testament, and Jesus prophesies to his followers, in the world, in this world, you will have tribulation, and you will weep and lament while the world rejoices. That's in John chapter 16. We can go on and find many examples of godly people who are not spared from these trials, who lament. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah scored a, a great victory against the prophets of Baal, and in the very next chapter, he's running for his life because the queen has ordered his death. Elijah asks that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then we have a woman, Naomi, from Bethlehem. After the loss of her husband and both her sons, her only two sons, in a foreign land, and she, she comes back to Bethlehem, and people greet her, and she says, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And finally, of course, we have Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. In Matthew, it says, He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Aside from these biblical figures, we in this congregation, we know that we have laments. Even as we're Christians, maybe especially as we're Christians, we have laments. We have broken relationships, lack of relationships, loneliness, failures at school, at work, in ministry, financial hardships, insecurities, health crises, social injustice, climate anxieties, political polarizations, and yeah, conflicts even within our own church or the church at wide. So I want to kind of pause for a minute and acknowledge that there's another reality to lament where there's a physiological reality, something that we call a clinical depression. And that's not, I don't think that's the depression we're talking about today or what the psalmist is talking about, but it's out there, and I want to be clear that it's something that's real. It can be caused by illness, abuse, childhood trauma, PTSD, it's a medically defined diagnosis. And sometimes there's chemical and neurotransmitter imbalances in our brains that can be medically treated. Sometimes just some heavy-duty intensive therapy is needed to bring out some of the things that maybe we've been subconsciously holding within ourselves. And those can be 
helpful. So I want to share with you a moment that we don't need to go back to the slide of my family, but I want to let you know that, that two of the adults in that picture have that diagnosis of clinical depression. And three of the grandkids in that picture were diagnosed with to be on the autism spectrum. So we're familiar, I'm familiar with some of these trials and some of these, some of these so extra um, serious conditions of depression. Um, we've struggled through understanding this. We've sought therapy and treatments, and God has been good insofar as we've, we've reached some kind of um, equilibrium, I guess you could say. But I want to make sure I say this. If you are that someone or you know someone who's deeply depressed, something that goes beyond maybe something just sort of incidental or some event, but it's something that's prolonged, a depressive attitude, and then sort of a lack of joy in some of the interests and hobbies and other things that normally you have, or if there's ideated thoughts of self-harm or harm to others, stop and help or come and see us. So I, I check this with our staff. We, we have resources to help you with this and referrals that we can make. So come and talk to the staff, the pastors, the elders, because this is something that's real. And we want to acknowledge that and be upfront about that. So let's go back to the passage and talk about lament. And lament, which is real. And lament, in this case, has reasons. So the writer of these psalms, one of the sons of Korah, he's not clinically depressed, but there's some intense emotions being expressed here. The specific events aren't totally clear to us. There's mention of an enemy, right? But not by name. There's no mention of personal sin, as we saw David do in Psalm 51. But there's four likely reasons that we are examining here. The first is the loss of God's presence. As the deer pants for water, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So there's mention of physical separation from the temple or the tabernacle. Separation from Jerusalem, the psalmist is in the land of Jordan and of Hermon, of Mount Mizar. My soul is cast down before me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. As a deer pants for water. You know, Tim Keller pointed out that a deer, like any animal in the wild, it instinctively knows when it's thirsty and goes for water. So why is a deer panting for water? other than some sort of extenuating circumstance. It could be drought, fire, pursuit from a predator. We've discussed this idea in sermons in the Gospel Academy about the presence of God. The storyline of the Bible is all about the presence of God, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. In the garden, in the cloud and the fire that led the people of Israel, in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the indwelling spirit that came in Acts, in the church, and in the very end, in the coming together of heaven and earth, the presence of God. And so to be without that presence of God, to feel that lack of that presence of God, that's, there's nothing, there's no deeper loss than that. The picture of the panting deer reflects our own times of spiritual thirst 
and dryness. I think some of our songs touched about living water, right? We want that living water so we will never thirst again. But there's times when we are in the valleys, like the psalmist. There's times maybe when it's difficult to pray, take communion, to sing or to listen to messages, sermons. Maybe even there's times when it's tough to be in the congregation when you want to kind of shrink and have people not notice that you're there. Those times and those laments are real. We sometimes miss the presence of God, even though we intellectually and instinctively know that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And yet, we're like that deer panting for water. Loss of God's presence, and then there's loss of community. In verse 4, it says, How I would go with a throng and lead them with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. That sounds like a worship leader, the son of Korah, who's used to be in the highs and the heights of worship. We've had moments of just beautiful worship. I've been at Mount Hermon also. You're in this sanctuary with windows pulled open, so you've got the redwoods right outside, and you're with the people of God raising a song, a hymn that's just so loud and so beautiful and so wonderful, but not for this psalmist. Lament contrast to a psalm of ascent. We have many songs of ascent, but now we have a song where I'm not ascending up to the temple. I'm away. I'm, I'm kept away for some reason. So some of us, we've experienced something like this, changes in community, whether moving to a different city or a region, graduating from school, switching jobs, a divorce or a breakup of a relationship, maybe where friends in common feel that they need to take sides, maybe switching churches. There's a loss felt in that. Another reason for lament is a physical enemy. So we heard Muliati read the scripture verse that says, where is your God? While well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? In today's social media culture, maybe you call those trollers, right? It's so easy to open up a conversation on Facebook or wherever and to see people come after each other. We may not have physical enemies here, um, such as in biblical times. I don't know, maybe we do. But we've spoken many times here about the Bay Area and how it's sometimes difficult to do church in the Bay Area. Perhaps, like me, you find it difficult to talk about your faith at work or in your neighborhood. Remember, I'm coming from a scientific background. Scientists don't talk about faith a whole lot, right? They talk about experiments and can we reproduce this experiment? Can we prove something? Back in the 60s, when our country tried to launch a space program, President Kennedy stood in front of people and made a speech saying, we do these things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Planting churches in the Bay Area is hard work. It can feel really hard. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we labor working with our own hands. When, when reviled, we bless. 
When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. The subtext says we do it anyways. We don't do things because they're easy. We do things because they're hard. The final reason that the psalmist may have to lament is physical exhaustion. We shouldn't downplay that. The lack of sleep and food. My tears have been my food day and night. A picture of Jewish lament is, is weeping and then, it doesn't say here, but the rending of garments. That's a grief that's so intense that he rend their garments. And then there's the metaphor of the sea. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Have you ever been body surfing or board surfing and a wave just overtakes you and just takes you down? And for me, it's like I'm, I'm in the middle of this turbulence. I'm opening my eyes. I can see the sunlight coming through the water. But other than that, all I see is foam. I don't even know where up is and where down is. I don't know how to stand. And, you know, for a fraction of a second, you're going, am I going to make it to the surface and be able to breathe again? That's the sort of, you know, panic that the psalmist is feeling in that. The sea is, is a huge metaphor in the Bible for something that's big and unknown and maybe something to be fearful of. Emotional stress can lead to real psychosomatic feelings of illness and mental and emotional fatigue. And obviously the reverse is true as well. Physical fatigue can lead to emotional stress. We need to recognize that. So now we turn from the reasons in these psalms to maybe the remedies. And some of them are obvious, and maybe some of them are not so obvious. Some of them are more difficult. But the first thing the psalmist does is recognition and self-examination, introspection. The power of lament, remember I said there's power in lament? It stops us and it drives us to this introspection. The psalmist writes, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise him, my salvation and my God. He's making a note of his mental and emotional state, and is taking a pause and reflecting. And so you know this musical stanza, you may have noticed, it occurs three times throughout Psalm 42 and 43. So um, as we learned before, that whenever the Bible repeats something, take a note of that, all right? When there's chaos around us, we need to take a time out and assess our state and the state of our relationship with God. And, you know, this idea connects with the Psalms we've covered already in the past weeks. This is maybe about taking a Sabbath moment and meditating on God's Word. That's the Sabbath was in Psalm 92, and meditating on God's Word is Psalm 1. When you self-reflect, make it a moment where you're also inviting God into the conversation. We don't want to say this is like happy talk or denial, but it's a recognition and acknowledgement of your negative mood and examining where to go from there. Yeah, it's complaining to God, not so much about complaining about God. About 10 to 15 years ago, I went through a period like this where I would lie awake at night. Actually, I still do this every now and then. And I just open my eyes and I'm thinking, am I okay? I think I'm okay. I mean, that's, I don't know, I sort of parallel that to why are you so downcast on my soul? There's a moment when I kind of stop 
and try to have to assess and then invite God into the conversation. God, is there something that you want to tell me? You know, the, um, the prophet Samuel as a boy, Eli told him, say, speak God for your servant is listening. So those are moments when I want to be able to listen. The psalmist knows he's depressed. He knows later in the same verse, hope in God for I shall again praise him. We'll revisit that again later. Another remedy is remembering and renewing the presence of God, as we so beautifully heard in Miguel's song to us. The power of lament drives us to seek after God all the more. Thirsty? Slake that thirst. The psalmist laments his absence from the temple, presumably Jerusalem. But whether we're in Jerusalem or in Jordan, Hermon, or Mizar, the presence of God is not dependent on our physical location. In the Gospels, Jesus said to a Samaritan woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You don't need to seek after him in Jerusalem. The Father will come to you wherever you are. In our worship, we meet God through our prayers, our pleas, and our future praise. I shall again praise. And we do that no matter where we are. God met David in the wilderness. He met Elijah on Mount Horeb. And he met Naomi and Ruth in Moab, and then in Bethlehem. Third remedy is rejoining and reestablishing, maybe even remaking community. The power of lament drives us to seek community and healing. Even though the psalmist appears displaced from the tabernacle, from home, from country, even the people that he's used to being around him, the absence of the throngs and the festivals, the importance of finding old or new community. You know, in Ecclesiastes again, it says, two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Galatians also tells us to carry or bear one another's burdens. Following our biblical examples, Elijah had Elisha, his disciple. Naomi had Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Paul had Timothy. And Jesus had his triune relationship with the Father and the Spirit. The church, we the church, have Jesus. At Solano, you know we have community through our home groups, through our Emmaus partnerships, through prayer partners. Even as uh, Paul was saying before about serving ministries, our serving ministry groups are small groups that gather together and we pray together and we share with one another. I remember a time in home group when I was sharing about trying to understand and work with some of the family difficulties we did. A member of our home group, I won't embarrass her by saying her name, but she looked at me and she said, we are with you. And that, that really meant a lot. Notice that she didn't do anything physical to help me. Not that I could even tell her what physical thing I needed. But the fact that someone can look you straight in the eye and say, we are with you, 
It meant a lot. Our community is far from perfect, but we have stories where we've poured into one another. We had um, another, it wasn't a sermon series, I think, but we had sort of this video series when people gave testimonies about other people at Solano that poured into them, poured their lives into us. I like that expression because maybe a little bit of, maybe a little bit of emptying of yourself, thanks, but you're using that to pour into somebody else. I've told people before that you know I'm nervous when my nose is running. The number one thing we can do in Christian community is to be there, listen, seek to understand. I'm going to contrast for a minute for, for Job. When Job's friends came up to him in all his fallenness and brokenness, I don't think they really came there to listen to him. They came there to say, let's, let's figure this out. Let's problem solve this. Where did you sin? You must have sinned. Whether that's true or not for any of us, that's not what you need to hear when you're in community. Listen, seek to understand. A fourth remedy is recovery of the physical health and strength. Sort of a no-brainer, right? True lamenting is exhausting. The psalmist is crying day into night, depriving himself of sleep and food. The power of lament leads us to recognize and hopefully address these issues of self-care. The panting deer sought after water. Insofar as possible, we need to rest and sleep eat, recover, Sabbath, or have somebody to help you, remind you to eat, rest, and recover, and always seek medical attention when it's possible and appropriate. Elijah was ministered to with sleep and food, and finally the whisper of God. We have that scripture Then we have the fifth remedy, rescue from the enemy in an oppressive situation. The power of lament drives us to seek God's rescue. This rescue is not always immediate or obvious or taking the form that we might wish it to take. And it's really not resolved in these two Psalms. We have three verses here. In 42.8 it says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. And 43 begins with, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Then further on, Send out your light and your truth. Let them, light and truth, lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So notice out of those three verses, only one clearly asked for vindication and help. The other two verses were basically saying, lead me, let's not worry about other people right now, but lead me back to you, to your light and your truth. The psalmists, the prophets, Christ followers in the early church, Christ followers today. For rescue, they fled, they fought, they hid, they sought alliances. But most of all, they made their pleas for God's rescue. There's no mention of tangible rescue in these two psalms, but rather an expression of expectation and hope. Here again, we turn to our community for resources, advice, and as we'll do later today, prayer as well.
to God, our Redeemer. Why do I say there's power in lament? Because of the hope we have. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. The musical stanza, again, that's repeated three times. The dictionary definition of hope is an optimistic state of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to circumstances and events in one's life or the world at large. That's kind of a mouthful, right? So let me give an illustration. So there was a movie back in 1994 called The Shawshank Redemption. Anyone seen it? It's a great movie, great movie. It's about a prison in Maine, which is actually where Stephen King grew up. He wrote the short story that led to the movie. It's about two prisoners in particular. Andy, who's wrongly convicted of murder, but sentenced to two life sentences. And then Red, who's rightly convicted. And at one point in the movie, Andy defies the warden and the guards and seizes control of the prison sound system to play a soaring duet from Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. And that moment in the movie, the entire prison, prisoners and guards, are transfixed in a moment of pure transcendence. After Andy returned from his punishment of two weeks in solitary, he tells his friend Red he played the music to show that there are places in this world not made of stone. There's something inside that they can't get to, they can't touch. It's yours. And Red looks at him and said, what are you talking about? And Andy's one word response is hope. And Red responds rather heatedly, let me tell you, my friend, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You'd better get used to that idea. That was a statement of a man who was crushed in spirit, rejected numerous times at his parole hearings, who was later to describe himself as institutionalized. That meant he felt safer on the inside of prison than on the outside. He wouldn't know what to do with himself. So, I don't know if this is much of a spoiler alert, right? But if you're familiar with the movie, you know that toward the end of the story, after 20 years of imprisonment, Andy engineers a rather ingenious escape. And he eventually sends a message to his friend Red, who finally is an old man who's on parole. And he invited him to join him in Mexico. <clears throat> and his letter said, remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Let's ponder that metaphor of prison for a moment what freedom means, and I guess maybe that's appropriate. We're about to celebrate July 4th, which is all about freedom. Laments can be our reactions to various forms of imprisonment, our walls of stone. Maybe it's abusive relationships or intractable health challenges, uh, dysfunctional work situations, this is the list I went through before. Instances of discrimination due to our ethnicity or socioeconomic status or our national or political identity. Our laments are pleas for freedom from these imprisonments. But more importantly, how do we know God hears our laments, let alone answers our pleas? And I'll admit this, sometimes it feels like there's no response. Again, the psalmist asks, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? 
This much we know, that God sent his only son, Jesus, to walk and live amongst us. And Jesus experienced injustice, wrongful imprisonment, persecution, political entanglements. He had no stable place to lay his head, no steady income. He experienced hunger and thirst, weariness and betrayal. In the end, he suffered an excruciating death on a cross. There's um, a recent media campaign. You might have noticed it during the Super Bowl. It's controversial to some people. We can talk about that some other time. But it's a campaign that summarizes in part Jesus' time amongst us. And it uses one sentence. He gets us. He gets our trials. He gets our physical limitations. He gets our persecutions. And he gets our lamenting. Just going one more time back to Shawshank Redemption. It, it occurred to me this week that the one innocent man in that prison made his way to freedom and showed the path to freedom to his friend. I, don't, I see no evidence that Stephen King was a Christian in that, but there are so many Christian themes that you can draw from that. It's just, I don't know. I hope someone told him about that, went to him about that. Hope in God, for I shall yet... Praise him. It's repeated a third time, and that's how Psalm 42, 43 ends. I want to share another verse with you, one that's personally meaningful to me. It comes from Romans chapter 5. It says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's that word again, hope. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character, and character circles around to produce hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out to us, into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is actually a life verse for me. Back in 1980, I read this scripture, and the words resonated. They still resonate today. I was in my late 20s. I was a young dad, young husband, still trying to find my way in the world, nail down a, a career and provide for my family, and already experienced a few hard knocks along the way. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. I have no doubt that I and my family and loved ones and Probably many of you today have some hard knocks ahead of them as well. And I have yet to say that I rejoice in my sufferings in the moment. In the moment. I'm in my seventh decade, if you can believe that, of life. And the long view helps a lot. I can look back and see where I was brought through these times. Hope does not disappoint. Hope is a good thing maybe the best thing. So how can we help each other find the hope that the psalmist declares and lift our laments to God? One of the great services we can give to each other is the act of praying for one another. Not just speaking words, but listening with open hearts, seeing with compassionate eyes, and as God grants, praying, speaking his words of healing, grace, and freedom. Just so happens, this is the first Sunday of the month, and we 
use that time for prayer, for extended prayer time. I'm going to try to give us enough time to do that. Um, it's an honor and it's a privilege to pray for one another. Would you consider that? We're going to have our prayer team up this morning. You can be prayed for, or you can pray for someone. You don't need to get out of your seat. If there's someone next to you that you know and trust, you can pray together. You can lament together. We can seek hope together. So as you consider this prayer time, I have one last quote to share with you. It comes from a pastor and a worship leader named Glenn Packiam. It's about lament. It says, lament is not our final prayer. It's a prayer in the meantime. Most of the lament psalms end with a vow to praise, a promise to return thanksgiving to God for his deliverance. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, we know that sorrow is not how the story ends. The song may be a minor motif now, but one day it will resolve in a major chord. When every tear is wiped away, when death is swallowed up in victory, when heaven and earth are made new and joined as one, when the saints rise in glorious bodies, then we'll sing at last a great hallelujah. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these psalms. We thank you for these two psalms this morning that teach us that not only is it okay to lament or even to complain, that you welcome our laments, you welcome our complaints as a starting path to draw ever closer to you, to fill our souls with living water, to be able to examine ourselves, to be able to remember your goodness and your grace in our lives, to spend time in community with one another, and most of all, Lord, to seek after the hope that only you can provide. We thank you for this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.